good to see y'all. If you're a guest, we're so glad you're here worshiping with us today. My name is uh, David, and I'm the pastor. Anytime we have anything going on, man, you're welcome to come. We, we would just love having you. Uh, this is the Sunday we celebrate the entry of Christ into Jerusalem. I mean, and next Sunday's Easter, and Easter's so cool. And look around. You see empty seats this week? You ain't going to be there next week, man. It's going to be packed. And, and you need, listen to me, you need to arrive on time which is like 10 minutes early, <laughs> okay, because it's going to crowd it. So, you know, we love having you. Don't forget, you know, we have four services. This service on the 11 is usually packed. We have a little more room at the 1215, which is contemporary. And then at 830, it's a traditional service. It has a lot more room, but it is our traditional service. So we just love if you come. We want you to come to this service. Like, if no one shows up to this service, it's going to be a bummer. <clears throat> so come, but just kind of get a little, you know, kind of on time. And um, I'm to help out. And then uh, Thursday is the pre-Easter service. And uh, we have one at 6 and one at 7. And uh, we have Lord's Supper and Baptism. And today at uh, 4.30 and 6 o'clock, we have our Easter musical. There's plenty of opportunities for you to celebrate Easter with us. And today we're going to continue in a series that began at the 1st of March. It's titled Believe. It comes from John chapter 20. And next week, we're going to kind of see in the last of these series of messages, the verse that kind of is the thematic verse of all this, where John tells them, I wrote all of this for you, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you would have life in his name. I mean, as I said, that, and John wrote that for us, to believe. So in believing, we could have life. Now, you know, chapter 19, Jesus was crucified. He was buried. You come to chapter 20, you saw the very first week, you know, the empty. The tomb was empty. Where Jesus was in a tomb, he wasn't there anymore. The next week, we saw he was alive. People that saw Jesus dead didn't saw him alive again. And then two weeks ago, we saw a call that when he appeared to people, he called them for a special service. Then last week, we came to this guy named Thomas. We know he's doubting Thomas. Then we saw as part of his story that he doubted. But as I shared with you last week, that's not all. There's a story. So we're kind of coming to the rest of his story today. And the rest of his story today is entitled Worshipped. And it comes from John chapter 20, verse 26 through 29. Because not only did he at one point doubt, but he, in confessing Christ, did what all of us must do. He worshipped him as Lord. And so what I want you to see today from this message is this. At some point, to be a follower of Jesus, one must confess that the resurrected Jesus is Lord and worship him as such. At some point, you can doubt, you can struggle, you rebel. But at some point, you've got to confess he is Lord. The resurrected Jesus, not just any old Jesus, the resurrected Jesus is Lord. And you worship him as such. And so, you know, Thomas doubted. But here's the thing. The good news is that the one who doubts the resurrected Jesus can also confess and worship that same Jesus. The one who doubts can also confess and worship. And this is the story. This is the legacy, really, of Thomas. Last week's message had a lot of Without application, this is going to have a lot more doctrine today because there's some stuff here we really, we really need to see. So I'm going to take these four verses up and kind of break them up into three sections. And, and the first section is this, and here's what I want you to see from it. When we encounter the reality of the resurrected Jesus, when you and I encounter the reality that Jesus rose from the dead, he then places a calling upon our life. Jesus always places a calling upon our life. Read the New Testament. When he encounters people, what does he say? Come follow me. Come follow me. I mean, he'll tell them different things, but he, he's always calling 
us upon our life to follow him. Verse 26 says this, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with him. So eight days from Easter, you know, the resurrection. And the way they count, they counted differently back then. The first day was that day. So Easter Sunday was day one. We don't count that way. We count Monday as day one. So Easter is seven days from now. But to them, you know, it would be eight days from now because they would count this day. So it's, it's the next Sunday. They were all back in the room, the disciples. Now John focuses on the eleven. But probably there were other people there, just as we saw two weeks ago when they were there on Easter Sunday, that there were other people there, because Luke tells us that, all right? Thomas is there this time. That's important. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and he stood in their midst and said, peace be with you. Because this is almost the exact same thing we saw two weeks ago. The doors are shut, they're locked. You know, Jesus gets there, and he says, peace, peace be with you. So we come to verse 27. Then he comes to Thomas, all right? And here's what he says to Thomas. Now remember, Thomas, Thomas had said some things. Thomas had said, I ain't believing. He wasn't in the upper room, but we saw last week that throughout the course of the week and people talking to him, he made demands. He said, I'm not believing until I can see the nail prints. I can touch them. You know, I can touch the side of his body. And notice what Jesus does this time. He appears to Thomas. Reach here with your finger. See my hands. And reach here with your hand and put it into my side. Get this. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. In the Greek, now Jesus spoke Aramaic, or Hebrew, but John writes it in the Greek, and he gets it the way Jesus intends it, and there's five commands. He says, reach and see, reach and put, and then be. He says, to reach your hand out here, reach your finger, and look there, look at the nail prints on my hand. And then take your hand out here, put it in the side. Now Thomas, who said last week, I will not believe, by no means will I believe, until I can do those things. Jesus then gives the fifth command, and the command is be. Be not an unbeliever. Be a believer. That, my friend, is the call to all of us at some point. Stop with the doubt. Stop with the unbelief. Stop with the rejection. Stop with the rebellion. And at some point, the call upon all of us is to believe. And here's the thing. We don't get to decide when we believe. Jesus makes that call. I mean, Thomas didn't get to decide when he was going to believe. He could have believed, but he never did. He rejected. He didn't just get to say, you know, I'm not going to believe today. In a couple of weeks, I'll believe. It's always the call of Jesus. I mean, when, when I came to the point that I trusted him, it's because he called me to trust him. I didn't just come up with on my own. You don't get to say, I'm not going to believe this week. I think I'll wait till Easter and then I'll believe because that'll be really cool. You don't know that Christ is going to give you the opportunity to believe. You don't get to make that decision. It's always his. And here's the thing. He didn't let the fact that Thomas rejected him keep him from calling Thomas. Jesus never lets the fact that we doubt and rebel keep him from calling us. The second thing I want you to see is that that calling moves to a response to confess or reject Jesus as Lord. When he calls, you do one of two things. You confess him or you reject him. Either you believe or you don't believe. You can word it however you want. There's no middle ground. You can't say, well, you know, I'm ambiguous. I don't know. You know, I, I, I haven't decided yet. No, you've decided. You, you rejected to not confess is to reject. Here's what Thomas says. Verse 28, Thomas said to him, my Lord 
hey, my God, <laughs> when he sees the resurrected Jesus, he looks at him and he says, you're my Lord. Hey, my God. Now, I'm going to explain this first a bit more in a minute, but I want you to see right now, what I want you to really see is the personal nature of what he's saying. He's not just saying, you know, okay, Jesus, you're resurrected, so you must be the God in the flesh. No, he, he looks at him and he says, you're mine. There is a personal connection. And by saying, you're my Lord and God, what he's really saying is, I am giving myself to you. You're the Lord and God that I worship. You're the Lord and God that I serve. He doesn't possess in the sense that Jesus is his. But because Jesus is Lord and God, and he says, you're now mine, he is confessing and worshiping and giving to him himself. Ultimately, that's what confession is. And worship is, is to give yourself to the one you confess and worship. And it's personal. You know how sometimes people say, you know, doing business all the time. Eh, it's not personal, it's just business. When it comes to Jesus, it's always personal. It's always personal. Here's the thing. Your relationship with Jesus is always personal. So is your rejection of Jesus. When you reject Jesus, it's personal. You're rejecting him. You're putting him aside. You're saying, no, man, I'm not following you. It's always personal. Your spiritual life is your spiritual life. It's always personal to you. And so far as you trust or reject Jesus, it's always personal because it affects who you are. Third thing to see is we confess Jesus as Lord based on the evidence of his resurrection. It is because he is the resurrected Lord that we can confess him. That's the basis of that confession. It's how he calls us. It's how we confess. Verse 29. Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. And that's a great thing. Thomas saw and believed. In the Greek, the word seen and believed are written in such a way as it speaks to the permanent nature. You have seen me. You'll never forget this moment. And you've believed. In other words, you, you have put your trust in me. You have given yourself to me. We're going to talk about belief a whole lot next week as we have already in the series. You've done all that, Thomas. But notice what else he says. Blessed are they who did not see and yet believed. Now, you have to have some people see Jesus. I mean, if all we had was the empty tomb, that's not, that's not going to do it. I don't follow Christ because the tomb is empty. I follow Christ because people saw him alive. And so these appearances of Jesus are vitally important. And in no way is Thomas's belief ever downplayed. In no way is Thomas's belief ever in any way seen as something not important. It is. He says, you believed and you should have. But not everyone's going to see him. In fact, only a handful of people ever see Jesus. So those who believe without seeing, which is you and me, blessed are they you. Now the word blessed speaks of a condition of our life. We have been blessed because of Christ. In the Sermon on the Mount, go back to Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Matthew records this amazing sermon of Jesus that he probably preached many times. And Matthew kind of gives us this outline of it. And the sermon begins with Jesus eight times saying, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed. And he's describing your condition of a believer. A believer is always blessed. When we come to faith in Christ, we are living in the blessed state. I... You know, I, I look at all the people who are constantly asking for blessings. You know, and I get it, and I understand. You go to the Old Testament, you want blessings, blessings, blessings. Can I just tell you this, as a follower of Jesus? 
You don't need to seek the blessings of God, okay? Because you have been blessed by God with your salvation. That's what you have. You live already, get this, you, you already live in the blessed condition. The Holy Spirit lives within you. Follow Jesus with your life. And so what you have is Jesus not saying, more blessed are those who believe without seeing. He's not saying that because these guys believe, believe is critical. And if they hadn't seen, they wouldn't believe. And in fact, the reason you and I can believe today is because these people saw Jesus. We have, we have their stories. We have them giving us the accounts of Jesus. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew writes about Jesus and you know, resurrection. Matthew was a follower of Jesus. He saw Jesus alive. It just says, yeah, he was alive. I saw him. Mark. Uh, we don't know if Mark actually saw Jesus alive. He was pretty young, but it's a good chance he did because there's some things in his gospel that gives an indication. But even if he didn't, Mark got his understanding of Jesus from Peter. I shared that with you last year when I did the whole series on Mark. Peter absolutely saw Jesus alive. John's writing his gospel. John saw him alive, obviously. In fact, John's the only person who ever believed that Jesus had been resurrected before he was seen by anyone because he didn't see just the empty tomb. He believed because he saw the clothes of Jesus, burial clothes, folded up, put off to the side, and said the only way that could have happened is that Jesus did it, and he believed. And Luke wrote a gospel about the resurrection of Jesus. Luke was a Gentile. He didn't probably see the resurrected Jesus, but he did a bunch of research. He talked to all these people that had, and he wrote the accounts down. And we have that account from Luke. Paul saw him. Changed Paul's life. Paul hated Jesus. Paul was killing Christians. And then he encountered the resurrected Jesus. In fact, in the New Testament, basically there are about 13 times that we see or read about something of the resurrection appearance of Jesus. And give or take one, depending on how you count some of them. It's an amazing thing. And because they wrote all this down, what they saw or what they heard someone saw, you and I can believe and John, who saw Jesus, thought it was important enough to tell us about Thomas's story. Think about what Thomas said. You're my Lord and my God. You're mine. Lord and God. To be Lord. And the word Lord speaks of one who's always above you in the Greek language. But really it gets this emphasis back from the Old Testament in, in Moses. You know, God appeared to Moses in the burning bush and go get my people and release them. And he says, okay, but who do I tell him sent me? I need a name. I need a name, God. Give me a name. And God gives him the name. He said, tell them I am who I am, Yahweh es Yahweh. And the word Yahweh in Hebrew is Lord. He said, tell them the Lord. And from that point on, God's name to the Jews was Lord. And they bowed down and they worshiped Yahweh, the Lord. When you come to the New Testament, that same concept of Lord is in this Jewish guy's understanding, Thomas. You are my Yahweh, you are, the word is kurios in the Greek, you are the Lord. And because of that, you are also God. It's the same. And it's an amazing thing to realize that to them, Jesus was both Lord and God. And Thomas spent the rest of his life serving and worshiping Jesus this way. He spent the rest of his life understanding that. Thomas was so changed, and we saw this last week, I told you about it, that the best historians of the early church, the people that would know, say that Thomas went to India, spent almost 20 years in India, 
starting churches and evangelizing people until they killed him for it. Thomas never again had to go back into the temple to offer a sacrifice. Thomas never again had to wonder if his sins were forgiven. To Thomas, Jesus was no longer the Messiah who was going to go into the holy city and run out the Romans. To Thomas, Jesus was God in the flesh. And he bowed before him, and he worshipped him that way. And it's an amazing thing. And then this is what John does in his gospel. And, and, and this is really such a cool thing to see how John arranges his gospel. Chapter 20 is probably the, the really kind of the ending of John. I mean, you got, you got Thomas saying this, my Lord and my God. He said, you know, Thomas, you know, you believe, that's great. Next week we'll say, we see John wrap it all up by saying, you know, he wrote these things that you might believe. And it's kind of the conclusion. Now, you have another chapter, chapter 21. And have you ever read a novel or a book and the story ends and there's one more chapter, it's the epilogue, you know? Kind of wraps a few things up. Chapter 21 does that. It's an important chapter. It's a critical chapter in John's gospel. It wraps some stuff up. But really the story of Jesus that we need is kind of ends right here. If you go back to the beginning of John chapter 1, John's gospel begins this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, that term word in the Greek is logos. To a Jew, logos, the Word, was the power of God. It always represents God's self-revelation, his power of understanding what happens in creation. God spoke and the world came into existence. So logos, word, Hebrew, in the Hebrew language, the word is the same thing. In the Greek language, it's the idea of the revealing power of God. To the Gentile, logos would be the ultimate reality of the universe. So Jew or Gentile would read this, that the logos was in the beginning with God and was God. And they wouldn't understand something significant. And then in verse 14, this is what John writes. And the word became flesh. The logos became flesh. And as such dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. That's the description of God. The word became flesh. And we beheld God. And here he ends the book. With Thomas saying, you are my Lord. And you are my God. The whole thing comes together. To understand exactly who Jesus is. Lord, God, we confess and we worship. And worship is so important. Sometimes, I, well, I think what happens, we think of worship, we think of the service. And, and the worship service is a critical part. I mean, this is the main thing we do. When people talk to me and say, you know, what is your church really all about? What do you do? I say the main thing we do is on Sunday morning, we do it four times. We worship. We have a worship service, 8.30, 9.45, 11, and 12.15. Because this is when we reach the most people. And we can have the greatest impact on the greatest number of people, and then they can go out into the world around them and have the greatest impact on their community. And, you know, when we build phase two, in the process of that, you know, the, the main thing is we're building a bigger auditorium. Why? So more people can worship. So worship is critical. But sometimes we get caught up in the service of worship, attending, and forget what worship can really be. And so I'm going to give you, there's a lot of great definitions of worship. The one I'm giving you isn't one. <laughs> but it's my definition, and because it's my definition... I'm kind of partial to it. And I think you'll agree. It's, you're going to walk out saying, that was a really good definition of worship. And if you don't, don't tell me about it because I don't care. <laughs> worship is to confess one is deity or God. And in that confession, to submit ourselves to him because he is God. Worship really means this. 
We come in here and we confess that God is the one. He is God. We confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We confess the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons. We confess one is deity. And when we make that confession, we submit. When we come to worship, we're bowing down. We're submitting ourselves to God. We're submitting ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus. We're submitting ourselves to the direction of the Holy Spirit. God, one God in three persons, as he reveals himself to us, we are worshiping. And in life, that's what you do. And this confession is worship. Because he is confessing Jesus is Lord and God. And to confess him as such is to bow before and worship. So here's what's critical, and you need to see this. The confession of our faith in Jesus and our worship of Jesus are inseparable. When you confess, you worship. When you worship, you confess. They are so bound together as you cannot separate them apart. So here's the thing. Jesus comes to this room where all the guys are meeting again. Now, you need to get this. Jesus didn't need to meet with Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, and all the disciples. He didn't need to see those guys. He had already seen them. He's going to see them again. In fact, the word told them, and one of the things that he told Mary to go tell those guys is, tell those guys, I'll see them in Galilee. The next time he needed the disciples was in Galilee, where he'll give him the Great Commission. So he didn't need them now. So when he comes in this scene, he ain't coming to them. He's coming for one man, Thomas. And I just want you to get this scene, because sometimes I'm, I'm guilty. I read these accounts. I read them so many times, it just becomes almost sterile. Yes, I read it. It's like a report. But I want you to go back for a moment. It's eight days after Jesus was seen by anyone. No one has seen Jesus since Easter Sunday. They're all back in the same room. Thomas is with them now. And once again, they're saying, Thomas, Thomas, Thomas. Man, you got to believe. you got to believe. And Thomas is saying, man, I'm not believing. I said, he hadn't, no one has seen him in eight days. If Jesus had appeared, why hasn't anyone seen him? It's been eight days. And they're talking back and forth. And Thomas is looking at Peter. And he's looking at John. And he's looking at these guys and says, I'm not going to believe until I see him. And then everybody is quiet. And they look past Thomas. And Thomas turns around. And there is Jesus. And Jesus ignores everybody there. And he walks to Thomas. Give me your hand, Thomas. Take your finger. Put it right there. You feel that? Take your hand. Put it right here, Thomas. Do you feel that, Thomas? Now, Thomas, stop doubting. And believe. Thomas, with tears in his eyes, would fall before Jesus. Said, You're my Lord, and you're my God. And his life never changed. And that's all because Jesus went back for just one. Just one. To Jesus, the one always matters. At some point in our life, you and I are the one. It's just us. We are the one that matters to Jesus. And if you don't understand how important the one is, let me take you back to a story that Jesus told. Three of them. Luke records them. Luke records a time when Jesus told three stories. He told a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. 
and one got lost. And he left 99 sheep to go find just one. He found that sheep, and he picked it up, and he brought it back, and he celebrated just the one. He said there was a woman that had 10 coins of great value, and she lost one. And she searched all over her house, every nook and cranny, until she could find just the one coin. And she celebrated the one. He said there was a father. He was rich. He was powerful. He had a whole lot, a whole lot of everything. He had two sons. And the one son, just the one, said, Daddy, give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance. Give me my money. Give me my fortune. And he took it and he left. And the one son went to the faraway land. He went to the land that stood for everything opposite of what his dad raised him and taught him. He completely, totally, in every way rebelled against his dad and everything his dad stood for. And he took that fortune and he blew it all away and wasted it. And then one day he found himself living with the pigs. And the pigs lived better than him. And he said, my daddy's servants live better than me. Maybe I can go home and say, dad, forgive me. I've sinned. Could I just be a servant? There was his father, this dignified man who watched his son walk away and rebelled against everything he stood for. And every day as it came to a close, and when he stood with all the stuff that he did with all his servants and all his business, he would leave the big house and take the path, the road, far as it would go to the end until it intersected the main road. And the father in the, would go to the end of the road looking for the son in the faraway land every day. Every day he went. And every day when it got dark, the servants would go and get this dignified man. And they would say, sir, it's time to come back inside. He's not coming today. And he would go with them, and he did this day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. The son rebelled. And then one day, he's looking, and the servants come to get him, and he's about to turn away and go with him. He sees someone off in the distance, and he says, just hang on just a sec. And he looks. And off in the distance is a figure he recognizes. Now, it's different now because it's bent and it's broken. But he knows who it is. And the old man opens up the gate at the end of the road, takes his robe, folds it up, and he doesn't walk. He runs to the one. He runs to the one. And when he gets there, before his sons can say anything at all, he says, be quiet. You were dead, my son. And you were alive. You were lost, and now you've been found. And he brings him back, and he celebrates just the one. The one has always mattered to God. And Thomas was the one who didn't believe. Jesus didn't come for the rest. He just came for the one. At some point, all of us are the one. All of us are the son, the daughter, in the faraway land, who have rebelled against the father at the end of the road, 
who have chosen to live our life not being a believer, but an unbeliever. And some of you are in that place right now today. And the great thing is this. Jesus came into this world and went to that cross for the one, for you. And he did it so that you might do one simple thing that will change your eternal life. He did it so that you might believe. Believe. It's all it takes. And the way you believe is when you confess and worship Jesus as Lord. The good news is that even you who have doubted the resurrected Jesus can confess and worship the same Jesus. And here's what you got to realize, what I said from the very beginning. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, at some point, at some point in your life, you must confess that the resurrected Jesus is Lord and worship him as such. Today can be that point in your life. Today can be the point where Jesus calls you and says, come here. He says, come here. Stop being an unbeliever and believe. Confess and worship Jesus. And if you've never done that, you can right now. And in just a moment, there'll be a few of us standing here. And you can come and you can say, I've never really believed. I want to believe. I want to confess he is Lord and worship in my life and give my life to him. If you want us to pray for you for anything at all, maybe the struggle with doubt that you're having, and that's always a need. Maybe you want us to pray for someone in your life you love who you know needs to believe who doesn't. Whatever it is you need to do, you can do that now. You can come when we have our invitation. But understand this, when you walk out of here today, you either believe or you don't believe. You're either a believer or an unbeliever. And the way that changes is when you confess and worship Jesus as Lord. So, Father, we come before you today. In this story of Thomas, this man who just always gets referred to as the doubter, but, Father, who was the one who had unbelievable faith, who did what we all must do when we encounter the resurrected Christ, who calls us to him, we confess and believe that Jesus is Lord. Father, that's all we can do. That's all you ask us to do. But you do call us to that. So now it is my prayer that today we would believe, we would believe Jesus is Lord. Amen. And amen. Would you stand and you come and we'll greet you.